welcome. I didn't see you come in to Miracle Nutrition with Hardy White. I am Hardy White. And you are? I'm sorry. Okay, I still didn't hear you, but I don't want to ask a third time because now I'm embarrassed. But you know, it's better to ask than be embarrassed. Please tell me your name one more time. All right. Oh, thank you. I'm going to say it a couple times to remember it. It's worth it. It was worth it. It's embarrassing myself to connect to you. Today, I am a fountain pan. My head is a nib. Ink courses through the fissures of my golden fontanelle. I can't tell you how much you mean to me, though you're like the Stooges Three. I would like to invite all my uncles to come up and light the next candle. I'm so excited to be speaking with you today. It is a big milestone in my life. I have been called in front of the microphone to talk to you and tell you I am now agreeing to take on the responsibility to move into this, the next stage of my life, which is what? Well, being able to play grandpa roles on TV. Not the kind you eat. I mean like a role in a play or a sit, not a sitcom, but something more sophisticated than that. I'd like to be in a television movie. I'm not going to lie to you. And maybe I would be a, a grandfather on the young side, say, don't y'all do what I did. I'm a young grandfather now because I had children when I was in middle school or something. But I'm not that young. I guess I could have, let's see, I could conceivably be, uh, well, using the time machine, I could be my own great uncle. Maybe I am. Sometimes I look at my remaining great uncle and I think, is that me? Have I just messed things up like that? That sounds like something I would do. I have not prepared a formal speech. And I did not know until now that I could, there was forces that I could blame besides myself. I knew that I kept not writing it. But I didn't know why. Now I know why. And I don't blame myself. Listen, a lot of it, I have to say, I got that from Chinatown. John Houston says that. Say, hey, I'm a monster, but I don't blame myself. And that's nice. He gets that right. Uh, he's at least easy on himself, but he shouldn't have done the horrible things either. So have that attitude of self-love before you commit mortal sins or anything. That's just something I'd like to ask you. Oh, my goodness. I'm asked frequently. Hardy, whenever someone says that in public speaking, they're lying. People come up to me all the time and say, they don't say anything. No one comes up to me. If they do, I, I tense up because I think, oh, what do they want? I'm, I'm being robbed. So a lot of times, if it's at a party or something, maybe they'll come up to me and they'll say, do I know, or is that a wig? Someone asked me one time. A bald wig? I don't remember. I might have been wearing a wig at the time. For some reason, you never know. You know how someone asks you to hold their wig and you go, well, I'm just going to put it on my head rather than hold it. If I hold it, people are going to think I've got a severed head in my hand or something like that. That would be awkward. I don't want to be in situations like that. But I, and I don't want people to necessarily stop me on the street and ask me questions. But if they did, I think this is the one they would ask me. They would say, Hardy, 
how do we deal with uh, people who hate us or want to murder us or kill us or hostile people? Let's say someone comes up and they go, like in a movie, like a bully, say, uh, you know, we got you surrounded or something. What are you going to do? Now, I don't know, but I have seen movies. So I know you can, you can run. You can do kung fu. Um, you can maybe use your invisibility. You can bluff. You can do that. That's more on the cartoon end of, of solutions. I'd, you know, is that your mom I hear calling or something you say like that? But I don't know. That could be self-defense too. Self-defense can start before you ever leave the house. And that's the ultimate self-defense is not leaving the house, I suppose. So I have encountered, I'm a great ninja warrior in that zero fights. How'd you, how did you do that? I count them as wins too. Because they didn't even happen. Look how uninjured I am. And my soul, uncontaminated. By that, because every time you go out into battle, they say, oh, you know, you lose, you're going to lose your soul and your innocence. You say, well, why am I doing this again? <laughs> Remind me again, why? They say, oh, you're being forced to by everyone. Oh, okay, that makes sense now. I don't know what to do, but I know that if we were together, that we would do something together. And we'd say, let's get out of here like that, and at least the camaraderie might feel good. Or we might have a plan. I remember watching, I don't know whether it was the Bowery Boys or one of those groups of, those were popular in the 30s or 40s or something. Or, oh, these uh, gangs of poor kids. They're tough, they're tough but lovable. I guess they're technically a gang, but they're really goofy. And they, they're almost like a, a Catskills comedy act, but they're also a gang. I don't, I don't understand, but that's what they would be like, and I think they'd say stuff like, you know, plan nine, and then they'd get in a position, and they'd defeat the uh, attacker, attacker that's sometimes bigger or armed, and remember, these are children, city children, who have nothing but their newsboy caps, and their wits, and maybe, uh, what's a zip gun, they might have had one of those, I don't know. I was watching the Three Stooges, or perhaps just listening. Sometimes I put it on just as an ambient thing. Some people put on rain. So I'm going to put on an eight-hour YouTube video of rain in a Manhattan apartment. Say, so not me. I'm going to put on disorder in the court on a tape loop. And then I'm going to go, that'll put me to sleep. Woo, 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 woo. And I'll, oh, I'll go to sleep like that sometimes just to the Three Stooges. Oh, it's a good feeling. I wish, if I was going to have, I wish my Hebrew name was Mo Howard. And I know that, that you'd have to pick, you have to pick one out of the Bible. Well, it's Moses. There's Moses, and then there's Moses Howard, just the way there's Elvis, and there's Elvis Costello. And I love that. The universe does that all the time. Um, I bet there's going to be somebody in the future named Cher Maximum. Because share and the share maximum when they're two different people. I don't know. I don't want to predict. I was kind of really interested, though, in people that had one name when I was a child, like Twiggy or Topole. 
people like that had just the one name. And you say, wow, that's, are you that well-known, Charo? And to this day, I'm thinking, what's Charo's last name? I don't even want to, I just read an article about her again. She's alive and well, fantastic, terrific performer. Uh, very professional. But I don't really think about her, anybody's last name that, yeah, I will, maybe I'm just hardy. I ought to drop that, that last name, surname. I don't like the way that sounds anyway. Let's get rid of that. I'm just hardy with an exclamation point now. Not an exclamation point. Question mark? No. What do I want? Just the end dash or something. Then we'll argue about its width. So is it really an end dash or is it a hyphen? Well, we don't know. We'll never know. And I don't want you to get out your micrometer or something like that and split hairs. I know I'm mixing very small instruments. And if you're a microscopist, which is a, you could be, I have a friend who is one. Some of these microscopes are immensely complicated. And you need like a university level genius person just to do the operation of it. And I've seen something like that on Star Trek where you have to hook your brain up to it or I don't know what. But in my day, it was very rudimentary, the, the microscopes. They just had little glass, a little piece of glass, and on it was, well, under, and another piece of glass on it. It's hard to describe. One was like a piece of glass gum, like a stick of gum, but it's glass. Isn't that horrifying? I... I I ordered that as a gag one time. I'm going to gag my friend. He thinks it's a stick of gum, but it's glass. It's brittle glass. No, don't do that to people. Um, in the comic book, the little ad showed the fella's gums bleeding from eating the glass. And then there's a little thing that goes over the middle part, so it looks like a, basically a glass Band-Aid. Something Invisible Man would want. Say, oh, I've got this invisible cut. Use this. It's a... And then you went under the little square of glass in the middle, which is impossibly thin. Sometimes it'll go right through your fingers like that. It's like a glass razor blade. And under that, you can put, who knows, body fluids, see what's in them. You can put a drop of water or it's like a, well, tears, body fluid too. And anything like that, a hair. And then a hair looks like it's the size of a cable coax cable and it could be then you start thinking is my hair uh actually um you know uh like a tv cable is there is it, is it transmitting something my hair no probably not but it's fun to imagine a world like that like earlier i was saying i was a fountain pen and i could you could write with my head i think you could but i'm not a fountain pen i'm a Ballpoint, unfortunately. Pen. Not a Sharpie. They have fuzzy, nice fuzzy hair. And I have none. I just have like a rollerball. Like a microscopic band roll-on. Or that, or is a giant ballpoint pen. That's what I thought too. The first time I, I had to buy a band. We didn't have it in my house. I saw ads for it. So that by the time I came of age or something, I was able to go to a store I, had, I have to have this, not because I needed the deodorant, but I was just so fascinated with that rollerball seemed so interesting to me. I thought I could put, well, I could put ink or paint in this. And then, and then that's crazy, right? 
I could do graffiti. So I did a lot of invisible graffiti just with antiperspirant. I would go up and I would tag buildings with clear, uh, uh, sometimes odorless antiperspirant. Now that's a way of making your mark without it hurting anyone, really. But still don't do that. I still find that a little bit aggressive. Um, there's something that people say all the time. They come up to me, again, they come up to me and say this a lot of times through media. And they will say, oh, you never hear good news or whatever. And um, I'm so tired of never hearing good news. Is a funny thing. Is that irony? When they're just, they deliver, the bad news is there's no good news ever. So they're not doing, they're contributing to it. Uh, so, oh, you never hear good news stories. Because those are always weird, though. That's, they don't make, that's not really, you know, why wouldn't it be news that uh, you gave the neighbor kid $5 or something? It just isn't. And that's because you think, well, that's just everyday things. It's mostly good. And then the news should be the exceptions. So here's all the terrible things. And hopefully they can fit on just a couple pages, and the rest are just going to be opinions and recipes. Who knows? That, that way you don't say, I would say that to everyone, maybe, if I was starting a newspaper. Just assume that everything is fine. And then we, we will, what we'll do is publish the exceptions to that. And then some days you might not want to look at them. Just go to the picnic. And then you shrink your world a little bit. It's good to expand your world so you don't think that life is a picnic in the park. And then when you expand your world so large that you start to have a horrible uh, nervous breakdown, go back, then you go back to the park a little bit, recharge, uh, eat some ice cream by the stormwater retention pond. You ever been in an area that go, there are no natural lakes? You go, yeah, but there's lots of lakes. And then they say, there are no natural lakes. You go, ooh, you're spooking me out. That's crazy. There are no real people in Georgia. No, there are real people in Georgia. But uh, there are both kinds. There are only, there's a one state, though, there where there's only robots and alligators that are masquerading as people. Okay, it's Florida. Oh, the great alligator people of Florida and their revenge. Part one. I remember reading that in a time when the oceans were a different configuration, that the state of Florida extended out into the water uh, considerable more ways. Let's say a few miles all around. Let's say 50 miles on each coast. So that everything that's a beach now would be far inland. Then imagine that there were people living on the shoreline. They had little vacation homes. And were they human beings or were they alligators? It's not clear. It was a long time ago. And at one point, you know, all vertebrates share a common ancestor. And then that common ancestor... Uh, is all is able to come up with stories and lies and things like that, and that's where I've got this one. And then these people lived there for a long time, but all trace disappeared. So why don't we find their remains? They'd be buried at the bottom of the ocean. You'll never find them. There's some things that were, have existed on this world that I can safely say that I have no idea whether to this day you can't find any trace of them. 
I don't know because there is no trace of them. And you say, well, your reasoning is circular. Gosh, what isn't? Isn't the world a big circular thing? Or is it a torus? Is it a donut? Because it just seems that I'm always on the surface. Yet I feel like I'm going round and round. I have seen this before, say you. Isn't this a loop, say you? I learned that syntax from Treasure Island. Says, it's rum, says I. Like that. I'm like, oh gosh, if I ever have to go, I wish there was a pirate country. Because I feel like I, I spent a lot of time learning uh, that. And I've got nowhere to use it. I feel awkward when I go to other countries and I you order a drink in their language. They know you're not a native speaker and they know you're struggling. But I think if I went to the Admiral Benbow Inn or whatever it's called, I'd be like, you're rum, bing, bring rum. And I would, they wouldn't know. Because that was one of the first books I ever read. And why did you read it? I read it because I remember it had like a black kind of cartoon cover and I fetishized that and I just had to be, I wasn't even interested in reading it. I was interested in holding this strange object because of its color and design. And that's the way I approach everything really, is that if, if it's an object that I can really enjoy and then it has a story in it. So really it's not the television program, it's a television. Because sometimes, most of the time, I'm just looking at the television. Now they've got these kind that it di disappears. So it's just like you're just looking at a square. It's like you're looking through a window, and I don't, it, it's strange to me. Like, where's, the, where's the television? Because sometimes if I lose interest, then I've got, I can look at the box and think about, wow, that's coming over this. That's crazy how that's happening. But. The, the, now it never takes me out of the moment. I'm, I get lost in this. I don't want that. I don't want AR. I want to watch a little puppet show in a box. That's what I want. I don't want it to surround me. I don't want to lose myself in the music, the moment. You want to go and never let it go. You only got one shot. Do not miss this chance to blow this opportunity. Caps only once in a lifetime. Uh, the other day, a friend said they went to an auction. And they heard the auctioneers uh, do their, it's not, they don't call it a spiel, do they? The thing they do. It's not a rap. I don't know what it is, but you've heard it. Have you heard it? Well, let me do it for you. No, I'm not going to do it for you. 55 or something they say. I've seen the ones that like um, Formby's, where they go, uh, not Formby's, Sotheby's. Formby's is, is uh, well, here in the United States, you say Formby, you think furniture refinishing. I think if you say it in the UK, you mean um, ban like ukulele banjo singing. But um, Sotheby auction. And they say, who will pay $55 million? That's the way they speak there. No, they don't. How do they speak? I don't know. Who will pay $55 million? I beg your pardon. Speak up. You're mumbling. For this uh, original artwork from somebody that we all enjoy. I don't want to name an artist. I want to single anybody out. Somebody good, though. Who start? The bidding will start at uh, $55 million. $55 million. They don't do that. 
though. They'll just say it clearly. 55 a million, a fellow will say, 55 million, 121 dollars, 83 cents. And then this goes on. I don't know what the formula is for advancing the bidding. It isn't the same as it is on eBay. Because I notice they'll make large leaps. And maybe there's somebody just waiting. Oh, I'm going to wait until the last second and then snipe them. That's the snipe family. They're very wealthy. They own a lot of things they don't want because they just took them out of spite. So I'm going to outbid this fella. I've had that. Haven't you have on eBay going, I won't get that old hat like my grandpa had. Nobody else will want it. And then the minute you want it, like somebody else is all of a sudden wanting it. And you go, oh, that's the. I bet that's the friend of the person selling it. Um, I don't know if this is true. That's a horrible accusation. I don't want to make that. But I will say that I think most things uh, that have a, well, I would say that all monetary value is fraudulent <laughs> anyway, right? Don't we agree on that? What is a thing worth? We could go back and forth all day. What a thing is worth in dollars. Most things are worth less. Worth less than you think they are and probably worth almost nothing. But one person's worth is another person's not worth. So we could, you could say, I would pay the world for that thing. And you go, I don't even know what it is. That's so possible. Oh, what a world we live in. Now in Don Quixote... This is a key because he has a magic helmet that everybody else thinks is a wash basin because it's a wash basin to him or a shaving basin. People don't shave in things like that now. They used to shave in metal hats. Can you believe it? And his you had a little cutaway for the neck and everything. It was clearly for shaving. In the early draft, he wore a spittoon. But to him, it was a golden magic helmet. And this prevented other people from coveting the helmet. So if a thing is undesirable, the knurled tree does not invite the axe, they would say in uh, Taoism. Right? So... Uh, the lack of desirability of that, if only you love it, it can remain uncoveted by others. Now, most of the things that are really valuable to individuals really are uncoveted by others. It's superficial things, mostly, that others desire. If they think you got, you got a nice car that everybody likes. But there are things that are just individual to you that are precious. And you can go around making worthless things precious to you. That's what I do a lot of times. I say, you know, the value is in me anyway. So if, I if that empty paper towel roll has the same worth as a, a golden rod to somebody else if it was solid gold, then, oh my gosh, I, I'm as rich as Croesus. And I, you can put magic in things, in worthless things. 
And then you find you can give worth to lots of things that others don't. Then you find you can do it with people. You say, well, there's no worthless. Of course, there's not any worthless people. But that's not, tell that to the cruel. Because the cruel think there are worthless people. And sometimes we even think that some, uh, that others aren't uh, complete enough or something. And we don't want to make them who they aren't. But I will tell you that you can uh, find something in most people that is precious. And it's great. I can't, I'm not there. Uh, but I know it's possible, uh, and I know uh, I, I, I can do it, and it makes me uh, slightly more sane, even for the, the cruel and crazy. I've tried to come to an understanding. You can still be, uh, you know, working against things or defeating uh, an enemy and understanding at the same time. It's not a conflict. And we do that in my ninja class all the time. So, all right, we're being attacked by the enemy soldiers. And, oh, I can't stand those enemy soldiers. Well, let's get way past can't stand and let's get understand so that we can make things right. I like to get to the goal that I'm going for. What goal am I going for? I'm going for peace and love. It's the ultimate goal. Oh, I have it in my heart. I got to keep seeing it. I got to keep seeing worth and things and everything. Even if it's not there, I must. Oh, I must. Why? I'm compelled to. I'll tell you why. Because love was given to me. Uh, it isn't always consistently given to me, but if it was once, you know it. You know what it's like. You've been touched by the tenderness of human hearts. You've been shown mercy, perhaps. You've been fed when you were hungry. And now that you have seen that and tasted that joy, you cannot look away. You can't avoid that it's a possibility. You know that love is possible. And so it's easy to get discouraged when uh, things try to destroy it or in the face of cruelty or violence. Oh, it's tries to rub it out, doesn't it? How can you remain full of love, Hardy, in the face of uh, violence and disappointment and cruelty? And I say, how do you keep your balance on a rolling log? I, it's impossible to explain. Just, you just try to hang on. There's no clear route to maintaining your balance in a storm, in a hurricane, there's no formula for standing on the top of a post in an earthquake. Finding a balance like that is a constant shifting and adjusting and hanging on and moment riding, riding a moment like it's a bucking bronco. You can't get ahead of yourself or behind. You can't concentrate on the past or the future. You have to stay there in that center for a second till the storm calms. And then you can go back to having um, your reading group where you get together and you read an obscure novel or something. I want to start one and just do, I would love to have a book club.
but nobody gets to pick the book. I always find that's the problem. Because then I start thinking, why'd they pick this one? You know, or am I, are we supposed to like it? Or is it supposed to be something we have to discuss? I think it should be, they should be picked randomly. Just random book, random, and you could say, oh, it has to be a novel. But just a random, there's so many of them. And it'd be lovely just to stumble on one that's appalling. And then you'd all have something fun to talk about. But a lot of times when I'm reading something, I go, oh, I know. Oh, this is, I love the way Iris Murdoch writes, but I'm just having a hard time getting to the end or something like that. You wouldn't have to struggle with that. Well, you might have, you might get one of her novels, though. She's great. She was great. But I'm saying, uh, uh, gosh, I wish I read more. I read, I do strategic reading, survival reading like that. I'm proud of myself that I know what most signs say. And I do, and I'm not anti-intellectual. No way. Just really not great vision or attention span, but super pro intellectual, intellect and intellectual. I'm all for it. I'm not angered or intimidated by those who are scholars or anything. I don't have a lot of times for people who are, are consider themselves uh, so well-read that they are the peers of those who are scholars. You know, there's that. That's an Internet thing. I, too, have read a little bit about statistics, that kind of thing. And it's like, ooh, gosh. Most of the discussions I have require no expertise, just experience. And I like that anyway. If someone's just come back from the forest... I don't expect them to know what all the trees are, all the leaves are, or the names of all the birds they saw. But I do expect that they had feelings, and they can describe to me the experience they had using whatever vocabulary they have. And you will find that even a limited one is enough. In fact, when you have a limited vocabulary and you're speaking another language, sometimes you are inadvertently poetic because you might just string together nouns and make something that sounds like a poem, something whose imagery is not necessarily uh, accurate as much as it's about the thing or like the thing. And sometimes we can only use words that are like another thing for experiences for which we don't have a name. For example, um, so what, what do you feel? You go, oh, it's like I got like pins and needles all over. Everybody knows what that is. Uh, that's a neurological thing. But we can't really describe the name of the nerve thing that's happening. We can just say it's like this thing. And we all accept that. And even the doctors will be like, do you have a pin, like a pins and needles feeling? Yes. So that's very interesting to me. Uh, what else is interesting to you? Oh, gosh, apparently not a great deal of these first-run movies. Oh, have you seen this new one? Oh, my gosh. No, I wouldn't do that to you. I haven't seen any. I do occasionally see movies, and I like that a lot of them are on TVs now because I can go, oh, no, I'm done. And I've, if it's a kind of an art film, I force myself to go to the theater so I can... I have to make it to the end because a lot of times I'm glad I did. But a lot, some of the blockbusters, I go, oh, no, 
I feel like I'm wasting time. I feel like I could be doing some sit-ups or something. I'm going to shut off this comic book movie, and I'm going to go do some sit-ups, and then I'm going to go outside, and I'm going to pick all the poisonous plants because I just, I'm, it's driving me crazy that there's so many of them. It's unnerving. I mean, I love nature and everything, and it's not the plant's fault. You say, oh, I want to be hemlock. You don't want to be hemlock, but there you are. So much of it. I could really, I could, I have so much hemlock, I could open a Victorian poisonry. Is that what they're called? Uh, like a, po- uh, a poisonous carrot, a patha poison, a patha capable. Anyway, I just throw some of that in my, in my mortar, and then I whip out my pestle and grind it all up into a poison paste and then sell it to say, I have also other things that are Victorian poisons. For such as which, sir? Well, you could use the lauded, I suppose you could use. I don't, uh, if you're, don't write any of this down. Don't ever poison anybody or anything. Please. Why? Well, do it. You can do it metaphorically. I like, I don't mind that. Let's say, oh, I'm going to an open mic, uh, stand-up comedy open mic, and I'm going to do an act that is purposely uh, disruptive and a critique of the form itself, a rather scathing one. And so in a way, I want to poison uh, this atmosphere of the enjoyment of the uh, undertaking. So, and that's fine. That's that's art. That's a that's being aggressively creative, and that's fine. I still like. I don't mind provocative art if nobody gets poked in the eye. That's the line I have. Maybe even getting goo on you or anything like that. Nothing on you. I think even Gallagher gave out plastic sheets, didn't he? Didn't he say here, put this on? Or maybe I'm thinking of Shamu. Shamu had the same act where, hey, hey, everybody. Hey, it's everybody, Shamu the Whale. Hey, everybody, I'm gonna do a belly flop now. Ha <laughs> ha. And then, boom, Shamu does the belly flop. Very crude, kind of fishy smelling individual, Shamu. And then everybody gets water. Ha <laughs> ha. You're wet enough for you. Like that. And everybody, oh, Shamu. And the, remember Shamu smoking a big cigar made of kelp? Where was it? A fish? There's another fish in his mouth. Or a seal. I'm, ooh, it was a seal. It was a live seal. Oh, I'm freaking out. I'm, I'm misremembering it like, like uh, Hawkeye thinking the baby was a chicken. Oh, it's so traumatic. Watching nature there happen at the uh, sea aquarium. Fish aquarium. When I was a child, I was also taken to this like house of reptiles that had swarms of alligators, a big alligator pit. And that gave me nightmares to this day. If you've ever seen a pond just black with writhing alligators, and I don't even think this doesn't even happen in the wild. It's just like, it's like going to alligator prison. And so you're like, Oh, God, they're all in one prison cell, and they're 
alligators. It's scary. And like I said, I don't think I've seen them in the wild. I'm from Florida. I've seen them in a while my whole life. And they spread out a bit. Spread out. Because they like that. They're like Mo. Every alligator is like. And but in these at this place where you're supposed to be educated about, so come here to be educated about the creatures. It's just there's it's an unnatural swarm. It looks like a Johnny Weissmiller movie or something. Don't go in there, crocodile swarm. You know, thank you, new native. Uh, me not go in there then or something. <laughs> However, he talked. I don't know. Someone said Johnny Weissmiller had gone in the the Maikai in Fort Lauderdale. I wasn't there when he he had he had a, by that time he had a stroke. It was the seventies. But someone said Johnny Weissmiller was just in here at the Maikai. So that's crazy. So this alligator place, I don't even know if the alligator place had snakes. It might have been a different place. There was also a place that had snakes, and there was a fellow that would milk the snakes. Not from their, not like a cow. Oh, my word. But their venom. So he'd grab these snakes. Now I live in Kentucky, and there's people that do this for religious reasons. But he would just do it just to get the venom to save lives not even for the glory of God. So it was weird. And then he would take him, and I remember like uh, putting him in like a, there's a plastic cup or cellophane. He'd make him, he'd make him bite this uh, <clears throat> like um, solo cup or something. And then they think I'm, I'm killing the thing, but you're not. You're just shooting your uh, fang juice into a frat boy beer cup. And then he'd take that and, I guess, give it to a doctor and say, you know, go save lives. But I didn't like this place because it, it, it felt unnatural to me a little bit. And I didn't feel like I was learning anything. And I know that my stand, I have an unpopular opinion about zoos and aquariums and everything. So why are you, why are you so down on them? And I'm sorry, and I don't go around like, saying it much i'm just it's a personal thing i'm not a big animal animal prison guy and i know that it's interesting to some people like, i like to see them i like to see animal prison i also like to say sometimes they'll take people's skin all the way off and pose them throwing a frisbee and it teaches me about science and appreciation of life and it doesn't me so i don't go uh that's how i get you know say well just don't go i don't well just don't tell anybody your feelings that I can't do, and that's generally I can't do that with most things. But I, you know, I won't stop you from killing that monkey, but I will uh, scream at you, "Stop killing that monkey!" And if that stops you, I'm sorry. No, I don't know what I would do. That hasn't come up yet. That's the thing with moral dilemmas. <laughs> That's why people don't want to talk about it. And they go, oh, just cross that bridge when it happens. You won't know how to cross the dang bridge. You better think about it. You better think about the shape of the bridge and where you're going to put your feet. Because a lot of things sneak up on you. That's why I don't mind some aspects of getting together. And, you know, you should have, even if you're the most anti-religious person in the world, you should go, like, go to Sunday school. So take a Sunday and go to school and go discuss, like, moral problems with people or something. Say, what would you do if you were... Because the idea of not thinking about it might 
you know, you might want to be a little more prepared. I'm like that with travel. None of you would travel without, I wouldn't travel, I don't have any money. Okay. But if you did have money. All right. Or you want a trip. Okay. You'd go and you'd want to read about the place a little before you went. Because you don't want to do something like I was going to, to Japan and they said, don't blow your nose while you're there. And I was like, well, I have allergies. They go, well, don't do it in front of anybody. Just treat it like it's something else that you wouldn't do in front of anybody. And I go, well, people do that in front of people. And they go, but they shouldn't. And then you think, just think about that, the way you do blowing your nose. And you'd be good. And so I do. And just really just being thoughtful. And don't sit on stairs. So I didn't do that while I was there. Don't eat while you're walking down the street. I didn't do that. Now, I don't know if everybody follows that rule in Japan, but I didn't really want to, I wasn't going there to be provocative. I was going there to not get in the way while I gawked at a, a place I've never been. That was it. So I was like, well, I felt a little bit guilty about just like walking around going, this is a strange and unusual place. <laughs> because that's why I was there. And I don't know how I'd feel if people were walking around my, well, I'd kind of like it. Maybe that kind of, maybe it's, it depends on the individual. But I certainly didn't want to, you know, make trouble for anybody. And uh, if you've ever seen um, the Beverly Hillbillies, that one time they, and you'd think this was a shark jumpy kind of thing, but it isn't. But they went to England in one of the episodes because the Clampets had a royal Clampet castle or something. <laughs> Maybe that is a little shark jumpy. I mean, the whole thing is preposterous, so I don't understand why. Adding more would be a problem. But they went to England and they say, you're going to have to go through British customs. And that word, of course, has two connotations. One is the legal process of entering the country with goods or you know how that is, like uh, tariffs and everything, that kind of customs. And then the other is the uh, habits and mores of the of the culture. Now the Clampets assumed that the British customs were the habits, practices, and mores of the United Kingdom. So go through British countries. So one of them, and I forget how it got to this, but they thought that the way you say hello is to say Habersham. Habersham. So I guess because the butler introduced himself that way. He said, Haversham, and they went, Haversham, thinking that you say your name. It's a probably a good joke. Uh, it's just so old, I don't. I forgot to laugh at it because I've heard it my whole life. So, But maybe I did the first time I heard it, I laughed at it. The other day, I was watching The Three Stooges, as I mentioned what I thought was a minute ago, but it turns out it's an hour ago, 40 minutes ago. And the Three Stooges said something that I did not understand, and I've done, I haven't looked it up yet, and you don't either. But somebody had uh, stitches or surgery done. I think they're doctors. And they, they, or they were commenting on somebody, and they said, that's like hem-stitching with the Pico Edge. Now, I have not looked this up yet. And I don't, don't you, 
maybe we should never look it up because I don't know how I would have looked because I couldn't at the time. And I didn't think to go ask old timers or anything. I mean, I finally figured out who Seabiscuit was. From, but these are references I heard on the Three Stooges long before I knew what it was a reference for. How you fix for blades, you better look. I didn't know any of that was until, and some of it until the internet. It unlocked mysteries. It put things in context. It destroyed mysteries. It made sense of things that were magical. And that sounds like a bad thing, but I don't know. It's bad and good. There are mysteries that remain. And even in my knowledge, there's still, I think, oh, there's still so much I don't know. What it did teach me is how much I don't know. How much that goes by that I don't understand. References from before my time. And now, a lot of my life is before others' times. And that's an interesting feeling, too. So, oh, this happened before your time. You weren't even alive yet. And I know how I feel about that because I feel like, oh, why isn't everything like cool like a Globetrotters cartoon? I thought everything was like, I thought I'd be walking down the street to a funk soundtrack. People would be high-fiving one another. It'd be a magical place of a harmony and uh, human affection. So, you know, as you get older, you go, well, wow, well, the world is so different than I thought it was. Uh, there's a couple ways you can go, and, and I went the way of, of sort of like uh, reevaluating everything I was taught. I thought I better open my eyes, and I'm not going to take uh, cruelty as a given and injustice as a given. I refuse to integrate them into my worldview. I will not rank people or creatures or anything. I'm not going to do that. I'm going to open my heart. I'm going to trust these feelings that I have. I'm not going to necessarily listen to other people's language or words or categories. I'm going to go and I'm going to think it through. But I'm going to think it through not using some kind of cold reason like I'm somebody's robot god. I'm going to think it through like I did when I first got here and I had feelings to go by and nothing more that it was all about the experience to me. And so when I felt love, I reacted to it. I have not become inured to that. I still believe in its salvation, the, or the salvation that is love. It's salvation. I, I was trying to, I almost said salivatory. That is different. Uh, well, love, there's drooling involved. But that's not what I meant. I mean, it's power to save. It's power to lift up. It's power to change hearts. Oh, my friends. I know that I, too, am uh, constantly uh, discouraged and off balance. It's all right. There's no permanent way to, to, to get there. It is, if you say, is it normal to feel like this? I feel like I'm trying to meditate and, and Dennis the Menace, or somebody keeps poking me and going, like, Mr. Wilson, Mr. Wilson, Mr. Wilson, Mr. Wilson. So I'm trying to focus, Mr. Wilson, Mr. Wilson. And now there's a bug in your ear or something. Yes, that is real. And that is the way it feels. And you keep trying to, don't lose your top. Don't blow your top, Mr. Wilson. Your, 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 your heart has got you on the right path. <laughs> 
don't don't turn around and poke at poor Dennis. Try to figure out why Dennis is doing that. And uh, come on, I'll come sit with you, Mr. Wilson, Mrs. Wilson. Nice to be here. I am who I am. I am Hank Ketchum, the artist and creator of Dennis the Menace. Oh, it's nice to meet you, Mr. Ketchum. Yes. I created Dennis as a metaphor for the chaos and unpredictability of uh, life. I thought last week you said chaos was predictable. Oh, it's diff yes and no-ish. But it, you know what's so great? This is what I, this is one of the greatest things that I ever did is I went back in time and I actually created the Hebrew word for man, which is ish. And I meant it for, for people kind. It got a little messed up. But ish, you know, like ish kabibble. Uh, but what I meant by it is that uh, ish, the way you use it, like, oh, that's, it's oh. I get it. It's cold ish. <laughs> is that a round circle? It's round ish. Is that, it's accurate-ish. That's the way I use it. I know those are not really words. Um, is that straight? It's straight-ish. More or less. And that's what me is what people are. More or less. Humans, more or less. They're a, they're a kind of a thing. There's no, just In the way that there's no perfect circle, but there's lots of circles. Because there's no real circle. Everything is circle-ish. That's why we don't say circle-ish. Because everything is just ish. Oh, that doesn't make any sense. Nothing really makes any sense. Boop, boop, boop. Some things aren't intended to make sense, like a abstract painting. It's a. It's supposed to convey. It's supposed to inspire thoughts that are specific to you uh, along a theme. They're supposed to be evocative, but not of anything specific. That's what I intend, at least. So if you're saying, I don't know what you're saying, Hardy, but you're making me feel good, it's because I'm trying to make you feel good. I don't know what you're saying if you're trying to make me smarter or anything, but all I know is I feel maybe more loved because I'm trying to make you feel more loved. Those are my goals. And then everything else is just an excuse. It's just a package. Just in the same way that you think, oh, is, uh, all, is the trivia and the jokes on this envelope of dehydrated oatmeal the point? Or is the oatmeal inside the package the point? And this is just something to read while you eat the oatmeal. Yes. It's just to keep you company while you were nourished. There's nourishment right share and then there's miracle nutrition share maximum do you see the pattern now i'm beginning to see patterns it's like what i just were just speaking about i love patterns i see them everywhere and especially in carpets or, or other things that are tessellated 
I see. Don't you see lots of, I see lots of patterns in tessellation. And I guess that's because they're there. And then, so I see them. So that makes me feel better. I see lots of letters on eye charts, too. Don't you? Remember looking at that eye chart? What's the, I'm having to go for an eye exam in a couple months. What's the top um, letter again? I don't, I don't want to, I have to cheat because my eyes are so bad that I have to, I have to go and um, I'll go by the eye chart, you know, and I'll just I'll memorize it real quick so that I don't look like a fool when I'm trying to read it from a distance. And uh, I don't know if that defeats the purpose, but I just don't want to. I I just don't want to feel, you know, lesser than. So, uh, lots of people do that. It's exams. If you cheat on exams, you probably cheat on all exams. And they say, well, you're only cheating yourself if you cheat on your biology or eye exam. So, well, yes, yes, and no. Because if I if I'm only cheating myself on the eye exam then why am I now a menace like Mr. Magoo? So I thought the other day I spent so much time berating what I thought was a fire hydrant. I was screaming at this fire hydrant and telling it what a loser it was. It turns out I was a child. And I was mortified. And people came and said, why are you screaming at this child? And I go, what? And I like squinted my eyes and dang. I thought it was a, a fire hydrant. They used to paint them sometimes. I know they did this in the Bicentennial. They would paint them to look like Minutemen or little, little figures or whatever. And I thought that's what it was. And um, that made me mad. And I, was, I thought, well, what's the harm of screaming at a fire hydrant? Well, I'll tell you what it is. You know, what if you're wrong? And that's the way with radio. You know, what's the what's the harm of just saying a thing? You know, you never know who's going to hear it. So that's why I always say at the beginning and the end of the show, hi, I'm Rich Little or something, so they won't know how to find me. No, I'll say, listen, um, I, I, this is all, don't listen to me. Don't get, don't get answers from me. Or questions. What you should get from me is so long, everybody. Thanks for listening. I don't, well, listen, that's up to you. But I, this is what I'm going to say about that. And it's, you'll see, it's rather confusing. Because eh, I don't know that some answers are worth questioning and others are not worth answering. Other questions. Can I have the next question, please? Do you plan on doing any television movies in which you play a very young grandfather? That's a very good question. I was thinking about that earlier. Uh, not right now. Um, I like a lot of the Hallmark um, TV movies because they were based on greeting cards. And I thought that's really cool. They did a, uh, a movie called Clue based on a board game and another called uh, Parcheesi. And Battleship, one of those isn't true. I know, right? But two of them are, so everybody throw up. Um, but uh, I, I like those. A based on a greeting card would be good. I was hoping to, I was going to do a movie that's based on a writing graduate student's chapbook. So it's just these, these kind of cryptic poems. 
But probably not. I'm not, not going to have any acting gigs coming up. And I'm because uh, as you know, a lot of you know, I got in. I've gotten into acting desire-wise, not having gotten any roles. But I'm starting to put myself out there. A lot of you times to get a job, you got to tell people you want it. So every time you go to a party, like let's say you want to be a friend of mine wanted to be uh, a knight in shining, a knight in armor. So every time they would go to the a party, they're going like, I'm, you know, look out. I'm looking for a knight in armor position. I'd, I'd like to move into that. Or, you know, I'm thinking of being a dentist. So if you see any opportunities, any openings. So I do that too. I go, I'm looking, I'm now getting thinking of getting into acting. So just, you know, ears, eyes open. Let me know. Keep me on your your list. I don't know if you have one. Like I imagine that a lot of it is. I think a Mission Impossible was a metaphor for casting a film. You know, go through the all the portfolios because what spies don't have headshots. Why would a spy have a headshot? So he's casting. He's something. He's going Peter Lupus. Right? Are you with me? And um, and that's he's the producer. And the tape recording is that's coming from the money people. You know, this next movie you're going to be doing is about Wally Cox. I don't give a get. I would thought when I started the show, and I've been doing this for 10 odd years, and I mean odd in the sense of strange. I thought after a few people go, would write with suggestions. Say, oh, you should do the show about, you know, do one about sandwiches or something, but that has never happened. So I've had to come up with my own ideas, which I get I get from other people's work. I scare I scan and scour all movies, literature, and everything, and I see something I like. I go, that's mine now. That's mine. I'm taking it, and I make it my own. How do I make it my own? The same way. That horse thieves used to by painting some fake uh, spots on the side of your stolen horse. And then you go, that's not yours. Your, your horse doesn't have a spot like that. Oh, my friends, I'm so glad to be with you as I am glad every week. I literally am. Don't have to fake it. Don't have to fake excitement. Isn't that amazing? When it comes time to talk to you, I'm always ready. I'm always excited because I know what a blessing it is for human beings to communicate and to be able for me to come on and say, oh, love one another, open your heart, it's all right, it's going to get battered and injured, but you are in a group of many battered hearts, the legion of battered hearts, you're in it, we love you, we will love you to our dying breath, hang in there. Fight for what's right. Fight for justice and goodness and compassion. Be good and gentle. Uh, uh, and uh, uh, vulnerable need you, even if you are vulnerable. So at least they need you to stick together with us. Vulnerables form a big scrum of penguins. Oh, you are listening. To Miracle Nutrition with Hardy White on WFMU East Orange, WMFU Mount Hope, 91.9 in Rockland County in New York City, New York, and online at WFMU.org, worldwide on the Internet. Thank you for being with me, and I'll see you again next week.
Ebony. Twins name was Ebony. Name was Mahogany. Twins name was Ebony. Name was Mahogany. Twins name was Ebony. Name was Mahogany. Twins name was
Sonica here uh, covering for Bailey today and right now we're listening to a track made by him. Um, more to come. Thank you. 
to answer Jameson57's um, question in the comments. Bailey's track was the intro, which I would say was like three or five minutes long, and then and then an excerpt from the film Tuki Buki was next, followed by a song by Slum Village. Woo-hoo-hoo-hoo-hoo-hoo-hoo-hoo-hoo-hoo-hoo-hoo-hoo-hoo-hoo-hoo-hoo-hoo-hoo-hoo-hoo-hoo-hoo-hoo-hoo-